Good day, I'm Anne Dolenshek and you're listening to Coffee Conversations about Influencer Marketing. In this episode, we're in conversation with David Shields, who is a strategic multi-channel communications professional with over a decade's worth of marketing experience in the digital and SME arena. He currently works as digital lead at Wavemaker, connecting creative dots to well-executed placements, attempting to make the internet feel less ad Grab a coffee and listen as we discuss using data to create campaigns that resonate with target audiences, the power of combining marketing channels, and the effectiveness of nano-influencers when brands want to tap into communities. If you enjoy this podcast, you will also enjoy our fortnightly newsletter that keeps you up to date with influencer news from around the world. Subscribe at the link in the show notes. This podcast series has been made possible through an exclusive sponsorship from SA's number one nano-influencer platform, The Salt. Most brands have a communication line to their existing customers, but not a way to get them to have additional positive brand conversations. The Salt solves the problem by identifying brand fans and getting them to talk more about their positive brand experiences. The Salt have a database of over 140,000 registered brand fans and in-depth information on each to perfectly match your brand to the right influences. Reach out to them now and see what they can do for you. Good morning, David. Thank you so much for being with us today and willing to share your wisdom and your insights with us. Before we get into today's episode, can you please tell us more about who you are and what your role entails at Wavemaker? Hi, Anne. Uh, thank you so much for having me. It's such a great pleasure to be with you this morning. So I've been with Wavemaker for going on three years now as a digital strategist lead, uh, which means that I head up the digital strategy for uh, some of the clients at Wavemaker. And I guess what that entails is making use of big data, uh, analyzing the insights and data of consumption patterns specifically on the internet to help the client navigate um, and understand where exactly their target audiences lie and how to interact and engage with them best. So using that data, uh, we then push forward the creative on different kinds of publishers through different networks and hopefully resulting in uh, successful campaigns and metrics. Doesn't always hit the T, but, uh, you know, with every learning comes a more successful campaign the next time around. So hopefully we're doing okay uh, as of yet. That's super interesting. And I love the digital age because we have people who analyze this big data that really drives results that clients are looking for. It's no more we're relying on general metrics. Yeah, completely. So a lot of the time, or should I say a lot of clients, especially those that haven't necessarily grown up in the digital age, they tend to think that uh, social media comprises the internet and banner ads, right? Programmatic display. And of course, that's, that's just simply not true anymore. There's such a vast array of resources and opportunities and ways to combine technologies to, to better engage audiences, not just spray and pray and hope for the best uh, or just, you know, deliver a typical banner ad and, you know, maybe if the creative is good enough, someone will see it and someone will eventually engage with it. And while we're talking about this, I know you guys also does a lot of stuff with Netflix and you recently launched a new movie, a South African one, uh, Tripping with the Candace Sammies, who everyone loves the family, let's be honest. Can you maybe give us a little bit of an overview of this campaign 
and, and how you kind of went about structuring this. Tripping with the Kandasamis is quite the anomaly. I'm not sure if you're aware, but it was the highest grossing South African film for two separate years because they've released obviously two at the cinema. And so due to COVID and the ongoing restrictions around the cinema, it was very difficult for them to launch, you know, at the movies. Um, and I think that's where the partnership came with Netflix. Obviously, you want to combine the best with the best. And so they decided to partner up and launch exclusively to Netflix. And so that presented a big challenge to us because, of course, uh, everyone knows and understands the familiar characters of the Candace movie franchise. But how were we now going to market that in such a way that we wanted to build a hype and get people to buy into the hype of watching something as and when it gets released instantaneously online, as opposed to the, the, the movie experience, you know, going somewhere with your family, uh, getting the popcorn, maybe going for dinner beforehand. Now all of that has been eradicated. How do we somehow replicate that experience, but at home while still staying safe and of course, taking care of yourself and your loved ones? So that is also, I assume, like with a pandemic, that's that's one of the things we really have to start thinking about, that we are kind of you moving away from the movies. Hopefully it comes back. I mean, the cinema experience is always a great one. It's like a night out. Like everyone gets excited. And like you say, you go for dinner and then you watch the movie and it's just like a whole thing. And now we are consuming more and more things online. So how do we make that special? And then my question to you is, there's so much clutter on Netflix. I mean, there's always those memes that go around that say, you know, you are falling asleep three hours later and you still haven't chose anything to watch yet because there's just so much. And now you're trying to launch this South African movie on there. How did you actually cut through that clutter and how did you manage to stand out during this launch? Great questions. Um, I'm going to just break them up into parts because I think there's quite a lot to unravel there. So just to quickly go back to the experience of the, the cinema and what it brings and what it entails, that is a very difficult one because I think the around digital media as a whole, the more technology and, and media people tend to consume, especially the youngsters of today's generation, and not to say that I'm not one of those youngsters, <laughs> but you know how things go. So yeah, so basically the more content that we tend to consume, the more isolated we actually in fact become. You know, studies have proven that the more time you spend sitting on your phone, the less likely you are to positively interact and socialize with people around you because it basically draws you into this this rabbit hole of communications where there's a million and one possibilities and ways to learn and ways to grow. But unfortunately, you know, we kind of stick to the same old tried and tested methods of communicating with one another. So we try to figure out how do we grow a community? How do we maintain that community uh, online, knowing that these are real people and knowing that these people have family and friends that connect them and that being a South African is one of the many factors that connects all of these individuals. So that was the base factor behind launching this campaign. We wanted to make South Africans that were at home feel a part of the general South African community and to do so in a fun, vibrant and uh, entertaining way. Effectively, what we did was we partnered with one of South Africa's biggest marketplace delivery apps, which is Mr. D Food, because uh, it is a proudly local South African app. And 
Over the series of two weeks, we launched a campaign whereby the fact that we were launching a proudly South African film meant that we should also get our proudly South African community to order proudly local takeout while they were enjoying that proudly South African film. And of course, the best way to do this, um, in my opinion, not always the best way, but definitely for this particular campaign, was to look at sourcing nano influencers because of the fact that you know, they have such a close, relevant tie-in to their local communities and their immediate communities. Uh, we brought them in to then communicate the message that they could go onto Mr. D and to the marketplace to then order and enjoy those meals while they were consuming the movie. And what's more is that those meals were all compensated to some degree. So we offered free delivery uh, for an entire weekend, which was launch weekend. And yeah, we were very, very impressed with the results. What a wonderful idea. I love that idea of combining two different things that just kind of makes complete sense. I mean, who wants to watch a movie without something really yummy to eat or some special treats? So I absolutely think that was genius. And that also kind of adds to that experience. I suppose it doesn't really simulate what you experience in the cinema, but it does kind of bring it closer to home. And I suppose you can also do it in your pajamas, which is fantastic. Totally. So uh, the other thing that I must mention at this point is that when we offered the free delivery uh, to customers nationwide, we basically supported all of the mom and pop restaurants on the delivery platform. So the idea was to really and authentically support those mom and pop restaurants throughout that weekend, as opposed to saying that we want to offer free delivery to everyone on Mr. D. So all the franchises, all of your international conglomerates, they were excluded from this particular special, which meant that uh, we really were pushing, for instance, the sale of your bunny child, your amaguenas, your bry flace and things like that, your chis and yamas. So it was it was very uh, a wholesome affair. And, and like I said, yeah, difficult to emulate a cinematic experience. But I think with your close friends and family nearby uh, in your very comfortable pajamas and warm socks in the dead of winter, uh, we managed to to secure that belonging for community. So we're very happy with that, even just for a, a small slice of time uh, over that period of weekend. That is amazing. And I love that you guys kind of thought that far ahead to say, you know what, this is pandemic times. We really need to start supporting local. And this was one way to kind of help them do that. Wonderful. Yeah, thanks so much. It's uh, once again, going back to the beginning of the conversation where we spoke around how to combine technologies and to really engage uh, the core construct of what it is that you're after. You know, what is that primary objective? And for us, it was getting a globally recognized brand like Netflix to almost mold itself into something that is locally consumed and accepted, uh, which we think over time has seriously become the case. You know, a lot of people, especially in Vinac, especially in dialects, they all refer to Netflix in some way or another, and that is becoming more and more the case. So we're very excited to see how, especially our local titles are performing uh, on Netflix to a mass audience, but a specific audience. Oh, absolutely. And I even see it with me and my friends, we are consuming so much more local content on Netflix and it's become like a burb. And just our local content is amazing and it stands up to, to the global content that's on there. So I think it will absolutely just grow and grow. Totally. Yeah, the, the, the Trippin' with the Kandasamis movie actually trended as number one for the first week, as far as I remember. And then it was within the top 10 most watched programs on Netflix for probably about four to five weeks. 
So we were very, very happy with the results, but also the fact that so many South Africans tuned in to, to feel a part of the, the greatest South African eclectic, vibrant, enthusiastic uh, side of comedy that we maybe don't see in other parts of the world. Oh, absolutely. And I think also that movie franchise, just like you said earlier, did so well in the cinemas. I never had a doubt that it would do well on Netflix as well. But like you said, it is, uh, it, it's very difficult to cut through the clutter. And when, you know, we're engaged in this mindless scroll, trying to figure out what to watch, and all of a sudden it just seems like you're, once again, staring down the rabbit hole because everything that pops up is something that you've seen already and, and the whole algorithm's working against you. And I think that's where companies like WaveMaker uh, have an edge because we use that big data and those analytics and insights to determine how to engage on other publisher networks and other technological platforms to those intended audiences to then get them to come on and watch directly. Speaking of this big data and speaking of, you mentioned you used nano influencers on an influencer campaign to kind of create awareness of this and, and educate people also when it's going live, order your Mr. D and sit down and have a fantastic two hours ahead of you, filled with humor and just wholesomeness, what we really need in this pandemic. Which platforms and what types of content did you really focus on to kind of get to your end consumer or your target market through this campaign? We outsourced a company called The Salt. It was our first time working with them. They specialize in nano influencers. They've got a really cool technological platform from the back end side of things. And the reason I say this is because they've got hundreds of thousands of nano influencers. Every Tom, Dick and their auntie uh, are on this platform simply because it's a nice, easy way to make money, especially kind of creating content around the things that you love. And the reason I like this platform is because upfront, they create a short survey of questions that the client or the agency such as Wavemaker will put forward to really gauge whether this influencer is a fan of, let's say, in this instance, the franchise, or if they're just a chancer and they want to make a buck. And so, you know, they'll just say yes to everything. Instead of going through that process of, hey, uh, as an influencer, I'm going to tick all the boxes and say yes to everything all the time because I want to be part of the campaign. These were targeted questions uh, to help understand whether you fall into the demographic and whether your community would thus fall into the demographic. So, you know, we then, based on the outcome of those questions, we received a list of potential candidates. And of course, we then filtered that down. Um, and that's really what made for a quality campaign as opposed to once again, your spray and pray, reach and frequency type mechanics. I think that is brilliant because to your point, a lot of the times when it's upfront, what, what the brand is, or in this case, what the movie is, when you put out those briefs, people will just be like, yeah, yeah, absolutely. I, I love it. Um, instead of actually having a little survey that doesn't actually give too much away, but you can gauge who's your real fans. And that also then leads to that authenticity of content. Uh, totally. I mean, at the same time, I think we all know how fake social media can be. So, yep. it, you know, even after basically looking at the authenticity of the comments and replies, you still need to go into each individual social media platforms to check, you know, are they just avid competition enterers mm. <laughs> as opposed to be having an authentic community? Are their profiles fake? Do they only enter into competitions in order to win money and then feed off their community by telling them to enter into these competitions? 
it really is a black hole at the best of times. Um, so that's what I did together with uh, Zane from the Salt. It took a long time to basically authenticate and review the, the relevant individuals. But once we came out the other side, um, we were very happy uh, with the results because what we did was we split the campaign into three different segments. So the first one was the lead up to the launch of the movie. The second one was on the day of the launch. And the third one was kind of like a post-campaign uh, reminder to then watch the film. So, so we did it over a nice spread. I would say that was seven to 10 days. Um, and of course, in conjunction with the media we put behind Mr. Delivery, uh, everything fell into place quite effectively. Which social media platforms did this campaign kind of focus on? And how were you sure that that's where your target market will be to actually tune in? Hashtag no filter. That's how this podcast is delivering real down-to-earth stories told by real people. For an influencer campaign that takes brand conversation to everyday real-life situations, go check out thesalt.co.za. They are the undisputed experts in real influencer marketing. That's a good question. That's a very interesting question um, because in South Africa, right, I think we think as a populace that we know where certain social media users sit and how they engage and interact. For instance, you've got your black Twitter, then you've got your cool young hipsters on Instagram, uh, people with access to data, for instance, and then all the old fogies on Facebook. But, you know, I can, I can tell you steadfastly that that is not 100% the case. Uh, using the data that we have, there's so many more demographics and there's so, such a, a deep dive to it that you can't just kind of throw a broad sense of shade over a particular platform. And so what we did for this particular campaign was we actually chose the strongest performing social media platform for each of the nano influencers that we made use of. But effectively, where they had the strongest platform, we opted for that one specifically, because ultimately within this target demographic as a South African, as someone who loves comedy, who loves humor, um, it, it wasn't necessarily platform specific, but more community specific. And where that nano influencer had the best impact, that's where we decided to go. That is a fantastic strategy. And I always say that as well, because I myself might have a platform or a profile on all the platforms. I'm on Twitter, I'm on Facebook, I'm on Instagram, I'm on TikTok, but I might actually just use Instagram mainly. And that's where my kind of engagement comes from. And that's where then my part of the campaign should focus, to your point. Sure. Yeah, we did have a bit of a hiccup in that we, generally speaking, what the salt does is they tend to, on their back end, they have the option to promote posts that are well-performing of the relevant influencers. Um, now, the trouble is, of course, Netflix being the primary content producer renowned around the world they don't want anything to seem forced or inauthentic. And so they basically said to us, let's run the campaign with these relevant influencers, but we're not going to promote anything because we don't think that, for instance, influencers' posts around the launch of the Kanasani's movie should be promoted to potentially other audiences. And so we said, okay, that's cool. Obviously, it would have ramped up our KPI significantly, but at the same time, I think that it was also a good move because then we really got to understand not only what the KPIs for a campaign without amplification would be, but where exactly do we sit 
on on the radar of how engaging those audiences were as opposed to just pumping money into it and you know hoping for a better day that's incredibly interesting to me because influencer marketing and performance media or otherwise known as kind of paid media to target certain audiences is actually a dream it's like literally a match made in heaven and to go purely organic especially with nano influencers who we know doesn't have the massive reach that your micros and macros might have that for me is incredibly interesting and and very brave if i may ask how many nano influencers did you use for this campaign and then what did your results look like yeah so uh, like you said it is incredibly brave and courageous uh, i think that for the most part, um, the chief and primary objective for Netflix is always engagement. It's always creating a discussion or talking point around this movie or that series. It really feeds into pop culture and whatever is the talk of the town on that day. And so in that space, you can very easily and very quickly lose credibility. I mean, we've all seen, I'm not going to mention any particular brands, um, but industries, for instance, you've got your insurance, you've got your uh, car uh, brands, even telecommunications to a degree. It's just, it's not engaging, right? It's just pumping us with the same message over and over and over again until we relent and we say, okay, it's fine. You know, I'll take this package or I'll go buy that meal because I'm so sick of hearing this thing on the internet. It does work, right? But at the same time, I think to some degree, it uh, results in some kind of uh, sour taste in your mouth. And so what Netflix tries to do is they go the opposite direction and they say, look, we're going to create great content. We're going to push it out to the audiences that matter. Uh, if they love it, they will then be responsible for pushing it further. Um, and that's how you create real brand love. But the metrics for us specifically on this campaign were, of course, the engagement, not just with the nano influencers and their community, um, but more specifically on the Mr. D platform. So the nano influencers were pretty much a kind of a complementary addition to the Mr. D platform. And yeah, I must say our Mr. D results were through the roof. We had a click-through rate. So we had a pop-up banner on the weekend of launch when, uh, when a user went onto the platform the pop-up banner would say, you know, uh, tripping with the Kanasamis this weekend, get your free delivery on local favorites, click here to see the list. And so people would click there, they would then choose the item from that list, and then they would make that order. So that click-through rate was something like 67%, which is... That's I mean, remarkable. Yeah, it's completely unheard of. And then obviously the order rate from there was I think 20% uh, of the total orders. So that was, I mean, it was, it was like a really astonishing campaign to see that so many people wanted to, obviously you've got your, your freebie in the form of free delivery, but I think in terms of engaging the audience member at the right time, in the right context, with the right content, you know, that was the trifecta of getting them to both watch the movie, but also take advantage of a uniquely South African campaign. What you kind of described to me is what I always love about marketing, and that is to kind of combine disciplines. Like in your case, you had the Mr. D, you had the banners, you had the, the kind of digital overarching, and then you also had the influencers complementing that. And we always see remarkable results when you combine disciplines. And I just always want to say to marketers, don't think of influencer marketing as taking over a certain channel and pushing things out. No just kind of see it as complimentary. You can literally slot it in 
to support almost any type of marketing channel. Yeah, completely agree. Uh, it's I must say that it is a double-edged sword with influencers, whether they be nano, whether they be macro, you know, the macros are not very loyal. Um, it's more about the dollar bills for them. And the nanos, sometimes they don't create the best content because they're not, you know, this isn't a profession to them. And sometimes, of course, they don't get the intended reach that they would like to because they think that they've got this community and in effect they don't. Uh, so I think the, the, you know, the meeting point is for someone who genuinely likes a brand or a product or a service that, sure, they get paid a little bit extra to promote it, but it's something that they would have already promoted and then have that particular content created by a fan feed into the overarching ad network of or internet of things, should we say, uh, you know, whether it's with the publisher. So uh, it was a really cool campaign that I saw the other day. I think it was with console glass. So console basically took on influencers to create content for them, which then fed live. I think it was programmatically uh, through to digital out of home billboards. Uh, and I thought that was just the most wonderful marketing case because not only was console using influencers to create content, but that content within, was then being broadcasted on a national level. And so, yeah, it's a combination of these mechanics and metrics that uh, really deliver on results um, that we as the agency, as WaveMaker, are looking for and, and that client as Netflix is hoping for. I absolutely agree with all those points. And I particularly agree with Yes, nano influencers aren't the best content creators. Yes, they, they don't have the reach. But if you get a super fan or someone who just loves your brand, they are going to be absolutely spreading that message and they're going to do the best job for you. Yeah, exactly that. Uh, they'll always go above and beyond. And yeah, I mean, it was, it, was, it was a little bit of an uphill with regards to trying to get them to understand that there's certain things that are just non-negotiable. For instance, we had a couple of reverts on one of the post categories, which I think was someone who had, who had ordered online because we got Mr. D vouchers for each of the influencers as well. So they could order and take a picture. And a lot of them had the brands of other companies in those photos. <laughs> and, you know, so there's someone with the logo of a local franchise uh, or, or one of these mom and pop stores that's in the photo. And we're like, guys, if it's a Netflix post and you're pushing Netflix and especially tripping with the Kanasamis and Mr. D, you can't now go and have an added layer. So there's there's like a whole lot of nuances that you have to just oversee and be very strict about. But for the most part, if someone's a fan, I think that's about 80% of the job done. Things like don't have other brand logos and things is, is literally, it's an education job with nanos because they don't, naturally think about that mm. and and i'm with you i think it's just that 20 percent of just kind of reverting and just being very specific about those things that we in the industry don't even think about because we're just like oh that that's normal right like everyone thinks about that well that's the trouble yeah i think yeah. We're, we're, we, we tend to want to become such specialists that we think that this is just second knowledge to everyone but you know the the realm of digital advertising is speeding up at such an unprecedented rate that even as specialists, we tend to struggle to keep up. And so, yeah, one can only imagine what that feels like for, for someone who, who does this as a part-time fun thing on the side. David, I'm really interesting to know, before 
the days of influencer marketing or before the days that you got involved in big data and influencer marketing, what was your perception of the channel before you actually had got hands-on experience with it? Well, look, I don't want to reveal my age. Um, <laughs> I, I already was there at the, the beginning of the age of influencer marketing, which actually isn't that long ago. If you no. think about when it started to make itself known and rear its head in South Africa, uh, it's obviously been part and parcel of the greater marketing portfolio for, for other developed countries and slowly made its way down to South Africa. I'm not going to lie. Look, I've had some very difficult experiences with influencer marketing. I think mostly because we went through, instead of going through outsourcing of using agencies that specialize in influencer marketing, we went direct and just dealing with prima donnas that <laughs> expect the world uh, with delivering very, very little to show for it, uh, that became a headache in itself. And of course, that's not your bread and butter. You know, you don't need to waste your time babying people and, and forcing silver spoons. But once we started to deal with uh, influencer agencies, things started to become much easier to navigate. Uh, of course, you could get on with the, the rest of the campaign and the day-to-day -day tasks and responsibilities. And yeah, I think in my experience, you know, as an influencer in South Africa, there are those that once again, they really care for the brands that they work with and they, 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 they do their best to safeguard the brands that they work with. And then there are others that, you know, they, they, they tend to accept money for every other brand campaign that comes through their doors. And, you know, as soon as the, the post or the story goes live, it's, it's thank you and here's my check and, and I'm happy to just go on my way. So we're sitting at, a, at an apex with influencer marketing. TikTok is, uh, is the latest in uh, the, the social media viral trend to hit South Africa. And once again, we're seeing it with the creators. You know, even though the, the content is way more engaging and probably way more fun as well, um, it's still the same bunch of influencers that are getting all the work with the same brands and, 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 and not really mix it, mixing it up and changing it up to, I would say, the degree that is possible um, and making use of things that are perhaps more, not sustainable, but uh, more, yeah, I guess, you know, for instance, if you want to work with uh, charities or animal shelters or the environment, you know, there, there's such a wealth of opportunity that's available, but we, you know, being uh, kind of safeguarded by the private sector, we tend to think within a very specific box. And so when we think within that box, we think of the limited opportunities that present themselves, which is always commercialization of things. But if we can link those commercializations to a greater concept or cause, then I think the impact of influencing campaigns can be felt on a much wider and bigger scale. So that's where I'm hoping it'll go. You know, for instance, big companies utilizing marketing and CSI budgets to create uh, long-term sustainable campaigns using influencers to have a voice about things, you know, to to move and shake uh, the political spectrum or even things that need to be said on the ground at a grassroots level. That's that's really where influencer marketing could be used for good. So that's where I'm hoping it will go. Oh, I agree with you. And I think we're already starting to see it shift that way. And I think the pandemic has fast forwarded that track. You're already seeing just after the looting, 
Um, the SA Lottery did an influencer campaign highlighting, you know, the unity and people coming together and spreading just positivity in like a very negative space. And that even, I think it trended above the Nelson Mandela Day hashtag. People really just want to see that positivity. And then we're also seeing, um, like you note uh, or you mentioned earlier, was the console. And that, that campaign was all about, we don't do something now about the plastic or, or single-use plastics we use now. In, 50, in 2050, uh, the sea will be more filled with plastic than with sea animals. So we're definitely starting to see that shift. And I agree with you. I would love to see that shift even bigger and have those CSI opportunities highlighted a lot more than what we're currently seeing. Yeah, totally. That would be uh, the cherry on top of, you know, what has become part and parcel of everyday life. So David, can you maybe share some of your biggest learnings and insights with regard to running influencer campaigns with our listeners? So for this particular campaign, I think one of the big learnings was to actually Zane and Albert uh, gave me a heads up up front. They said, Dave, instead of you briefing us and us briefing each relevant influencer, why don't you create a video to basically take them through the concept and the campaign and the mechanics uh, all in one so that they can watch it and they can adhere and provide the necessary content in their own unique ways. So that's what I did. I created a video just explaining the campaign and what we're trying to achieve and, and you know, what to look out for, what not to do, but also to, to try and be original and authentic and, and stick true to yourself. And so that, that, was, that was a huge one because I think rather than tearing our hair out because each influencer had their own problem or obstacle or didn't understand something, it was just a quick explain of it and, and that got the message through and across very effectively. Uh, so that was a big one. The paid media side of things is very interesting, uh, whether or not to promote influencer content, that, that then in itself becomes a very intrepid territory because just like with TV rights, if you act in a commercial, uh, you obviously are paid for the usage of that commercial and for how long it flights. And so digitally, we kind of have a, a bit of a white space that we're playing in at the moment. Sure, we can maybe offer, you know, the influencer a bit of extra money to say, hey, we're going to promote this content. Are you happy for us to promote it? But now if that content is, for instance, flighting for a year as opposed to a month, uh, does that influencer perhaps, are they not entitled to additional compensation? So, th so it will be very interesting to see where, where it goes with that. Um, and then ultimately, you know, influencers, I think they have their time and their place. They shouldn't feature in every campaign and they certainly shouldn't feature all the time. I think for general health and well-being, we could probably do with uh, less influencers in the world, if I'm honest. But with the nano influencers that have strong communities uh, that are engaged and people that just generally like certain things and have, you know, these fan bases, uh, then I think that one should strive to at least include them um whenever we can because those are ultimately your super fans and you know what we've proven with netflix is that if you can lock in the super fans and get them to reach out to their communities it feels like a much more personal and meaningful message those are really really good points thank you so much david and that also brings us to the end of our chat thank you so much again for sharing your insights and sharing your wisdom with us. I really appreciate that. Thanks so much, Anne. Yeah, it was great to have a, a quick conversation. 
not something that uh, we tend to chat about every day, the uh, efficacy of micro-influencers and their place in the ad spectrum. But uh, yeah, I hope, I hope, you know, the listeners were educated and informed and hopefully entertained to some degree. I'm sure they were. Before we say goodbye to you, David, maybe can you tell us where listeners can actually connect with you if they want to see more of your work or just who you are? Sure. You can connect with me on LinkedIn or otherwise the general social media platforms at Dave Shields underscore. Wonderful. Thank you so much, David, and chat soon. Goodbye. Thanks, Anne. Have a great one. This podcast series has been made possible by The Salt, the influencer company that turns influence into affluence. In the same way that information is presented in this podcast in a relatable and authentic way, The Salt gets your customers to tell their real brand stories to their community. Go to thesalt.co.za to learn more about how The Salt can help you grow your business.